What happens when two people in two separate places experience the same alternate reality? And then we travel to a community center to play a little bit of one-on-one basketball. But little do we know the opponent we will be facing down is not flesh and blood, but a phantom from the basement. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. Hope you guys have some awesome plans for the weekend. You're like, damn it, Jason, did you take a nap before recording again? You sound like a zombie. Why are you so tired? Yeah, I did. Bad habits. I gotta quit taking naps and waiting to the last minute to record this daily podcast, but someone who never waits to the last minute, someone who always is there just in time, wide awake, running into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our birthday present givers. Everyone get, this going to be a rough episode, guys. Everyone get on your feet and give it up for Stinkbug Potato. Woohoo, yeah, wee, ha Jumping them down, jumping them down in my dreams. Stinkbug Potato, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, Stinkbug Potato actually bought me some books off of my Amazon wish list. That's great. If you guys can't support the show that way or through the Patreon or by sending me stimulants to keep me awake, that's fine too. It truly is. Just help spread the word about Dead Rabbit Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. I also want to give one more shout out this week to the podcast Into the Obscure. I'll put the episodes in the show notes. They recently interviewed me for one of their episodes. It was a lot of fun and I recommend checking out that episode and their entire backlog of episodes and future episodes as well. Thank you so much Into the Obscure podcast for the interview. I had a ton of fun. Also, I want to mention Dead Rabbit Radio, me... I will be at the Port Gamble Ghost Conference in Washington, in the state of Washington, in the city of Port Gamble, on November 10th, 2023. I will be giving a speech on Why Are There No Fat Ghosts. This is version two. If you heard the first one, it's all brand new stuff. And if you didn't hear the first one, well, then you wouldn't know the difference. But I will be there at Port Gamble, live and in person, November 10th, ticket information in the links below. I also want to say we're going to be taking a break after October 31st. After that, I'll be taking a two-week break that'll be leading up to the conference. But I wanted to get episodes out through the spookiest month of October, Spooktober, some people call it. Our last episode will be October 31st, 2023, and then I'll be taking a two-week break. I'll be back November 15th. That's a lot of intro stuff. We got even more stuff to cover, Stinkbug Potato. I'm going to go ahead and start off by giving you the... Oars to the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We're going to row out of Dead Rabbit Command. Take us all the way out to college. Oh, splash. Oh, splash. Oh, splash. We're rowing this rowboat all the way out of Dead Rabbit Radio Command. Stinkbook Potato giving us the orders of where to go. College. We're headed out to college. We don't have a specific location for this story. It did take place in 2122, so fairly recent story. Also, I don't know how I know this, but I put in my notes that this story does not take place in the United States. So, so that narrows it down for you. It takes place somebody, somewhere near a university, not in the United States. 
We're about to meet this young woman. We're going to call her Susan. She's 20 years old. She's living in the city, going to college, living the life, playing hacky sack, drawing during classes. The teacher's like, if you mix a chemical with this other chemical, it makes chemical stuff happen. And you're like taking notes. You're like, Shh. And then you're going to like sculpting class and the teacher's like, now remember, use your hands to mold this clay. And you're like molding the clay and stuff like that. The professor's like... A's for everybody. It's a bunch of junk. It's a bunch of, bunch of ashtrays you're sending home to your parents. They're like, what? We're paying 40000 a year for this? Life in college is grand. Well, Susan is dating this guy. We're going to call her Charles. And one day, she and her boyfriend are driving down the highway, but they're taking separate cars. And she's driving... And then shortly behind her is her boyfriend in his car. Driving down the highway. Now, it had been pouring rain this day. And it was raining as they were driving. It was starting to get dark out as well. Susan's pushing like 80 miles an hour driving through the rain. Young person. Dumb person. 80 miles an hour is, well, I guess if this story takes place in Germany, that's like their, that's like their school zone speed limit. That's pretty fast. It's pretty fast to be going down the road in a rainstorm. But like I said, like young people make really bad decisions when it comes to speed. Cars driving on the road. Well, what happens is there's this point in the highway where there's an overpass above the road. And at this point, on the either side of the highway, the part where Charles and Susan are driving down, there's concrete railing on both sides of the highway. So you have this overpass over them, and then concrete railings on both sides. And Susan's flying on the road, and she sees this puddle right before there's a bend in the road. And as Susan begins to approach the puddle, she is overwhelmed by fear. It's not natural. She doesn't know why she's feeling so terrified right now. But it is so powerful, she begins to slow down. She begins to slow down. She actually drops below the speed limit, goes through the puddle... And turns at the bend in the highway. And at that point, her cell phone starts ringing. And she looks over and she answers it. And on the phone is her boyfriend. Who is traveling in the car behind her. And he's sobbing. He's hysterical. She's like, Charles, Charles, what's the matter? What's going on? And he is just like choking. He's so terrified and confused and and i i want to use the word sad but it's more than that he's completely devastated and he's screaming into the phone slow down slow down and she answers back. She goes, I did. I, 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 Charles, what is going on? What, why, why are you freaking out? I, I did slow down. And he's just sobbing. 
screaming, slow down, slow down. As he's able to, as he's able to regain his composure, and he's now following behind her in his car, and they're both driving much slower at this point, Charles tells Susan what he saw. He goes, Susan, I was driving behind you, and we're both going 80 down this road, and I see the overpass. And I see where there's a bend in the road coming up. And I watched you. I watched you. You're going 80 and you hit that giant puddle. And you began to hydroplane. Susan's like, what are you talking about? Charles goes, no, 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 no. Just listen. I'm watching you. You're flying down the road. You hit that puddle. You begin to, you begin to hydroplane. You start to twist and turn. I watch you lose control of your car. And I see the headlights of your car just point right towards that concrete rail guard on the left-hand side of the highway. And I watch your car headed straight towards it. As fast as it can go. You've completely lost control of your car. And I see it flying right towards the concrete railing. And then I watched your car. Straighten out. Slow down. And glide around the turn. And Susan said that he, this was a quote she had. She go, quote, he felt real panic and grief. Not only would he say that, not only could he say, I, 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 I thought that I was about to watch you die. He, she goes, I could hear it in his voice. When he was screaming, slow down, slow down. It was the sound of a man who had lost somebody he held so dear to him. It was that unmistakable sound of raw anguish. It's super interesting because we're getting two viewpoints to what seems like a story of quantum immortality. One, we have the observer... Let's say we're in the car with Charles. It's not impossible to be driving a car, start to hydroplane, lose control, and then at the last second regain control. It's not impossible. It's very hard. If you were able to do it, it would seem like a miracle. But it's not impossible. So if you saw that, if you saw a car start to slip and slide, it's hydroplaning and you swear it's about to hit that concrete wall and then it just seems to right itself, you would go, you know, obviously, you know, thank your lucky stars that there wasn't a horrible collision, but you might not necessarily think you just saw a vision of a disaster, and then at the last minute it stopped. Or, you no, know, that's what you would think you'd saw. You wouldn't think you saw... 
a glitch. You wouldn't think you saw a car about to have a horrible accident and then the universe correct itself. You would assume that the driver regained control of their car. There are tons of videos like this online. We may have experienced this in our own lives. What's even more chilling, though, is that we have the observer in the car that is going off the road. Susan. But here's the thing. None of that happened from her point of view. She never hydroplaned. She never lost control of the car. She never was veering and headed right towards the concrete railing going 80 miles an hour before she was able to slow down and course correct. None of that happened from Susan's point of view. She was just driving a car. She got a bad feeling. She let off the gas. That's the weird part. The observer, her, shifted in a reality where none of it took place. None of it. She just had the bad feeling. And it, really, she had a sense of overwhelming terror. It wasn't just she had, it was a little queasy about the upcoming plane flight. She realized something was... It wasn't even that she thought something bad was going to happen. She felt like she just felt terrified in that moment as she took her foot off the gas. Did she? I mean, I, 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 this is so weird because did she prevent an accident that was about to happen? Like she got a sixth sense about it. Did she experience the accident in her mind in this alternate world and then snap back to a reality where she never hydroplaned? Like, this is, a, this is one I don't know what it is. If it was just a singular witness, I wouldn't even cover it on the show. I wouldn't go, hey, here's a story about a guy who said he saw a car do something weird one day. He saw started a hydroplane and then they regained control. It's not, that's, that's not paranormal at all. Or if the story was, here's a story about a woman who was driving home one day and she was flying down the road going 80 and then she got like a weird feeling, overwhelmingly terrified to be specific, and she slowed down and then she got home. That's not a paranormal story either. In fact, both those stories are quite common, or at least more common than the average paranormal phenomenon. What was this? Did she experience the hydroplane universe? Did she actually begin the hydroplane and she was so terrified she retained that memory from that alternate reality to where she switched to one where she didn't hydroplane? And here's the other thing. All she did was hydroplane and she was headed towards the concrete railing. Even from his point of view, she never crashed. She never died. So what was this? I mean, the only thing I can think of is we are looking at a quantum immortality moment where she did veer off into the concrete railing, died on impact, 80 miles an hour, going into this concrete railing. She dies. Her boyfriend runs to the scene. She's bleeding internally, multiple injuries. He calls 911. He's standing there in the rain watching his girlfriend die. Suffocate on her own blood. He's in agony. Emergency services get there. 
They jaws of life her out of the car, but it's too late. She's dead. Then he has to notify her loved ones, her family members. He has to watch his girlfriend get buried. It completely He completely loses his focus for his college courses. He has a rough time for the next couple of years getting over this. And then eventually, somehow, he's able to put the memories of Susan behind him. Not forgetting her, but moving forward and finding new beauty in life. The timeline would have played out completely. But instead of any of that happening, even he got teleported into the new timeline. Even Charles' timeline, her dying on that road would have been so traumatic for both of them, obviously for her, she's dead, that he also splits into this timeline. So he's in the timeline now where Susan lived. Now, there would be an alternate timeline where she didn't. There is a Charles who's going through that whole grieving process. But Charles Prime, the ones that's in this universe, where Susan lived to post this on Reddit, she posted it under the name Crippling Moral Decay. He still has Susan in his life. And this, all this stuff is so bizarre and so abstract. And we talk about stories of quantum immortality. We, you really have to get into the weeds on this one. I know this is going a little longer than I was expecting it, but this is always the people talk about quantum immortality, and that is the idea that when you die, you actually just shift to a universe where you're still alive. There's spiritual theories of how this would work. There's also scientific theories. Basically, you can't perceive a universe where you don't exist. Therefore, when you stop existing, you shift into a universe where you do exist. Because you can't comprehend a universe where you don't exist. But I remember I thought, this is when I first moved up here to Hood River, I had all of this stuff packed up uh, pretty poorly. And in my sleep, I rolled over and there was somebody else in my bed. And I started freaking out like I was in a deep sleep and I rolled over and there was someone else in my bed. And then I started screaming, screaming, screaming out the top of my lungs because I woke up and I was like, who's in my bed? And at the same time, I realized maybe 50 pounds worth of boxes had collapsed onto my bed right where my head would have been right where that other. What I think logically is that I was sleeping and I rolled over in my sleep away from the boxes because these boxes should have crushed my head. And then they fell down, I rolled, and I bumped my head into the boxes that were now there, and my dream made it to think there was someone in bed with me, and it woke me up. I'm screaming, I'm screaming, I'm screaming, and I thought, I, I've talked about this before on the show, that if we look at the idea of quantum immortality, there is a universe where my head was crushed by all those boxes. If it didn't kill me outright, which it easily could have, it would have given me severe brain damage. It probably would have killed me, as heavy as these things were falling right down on my head while I'm sleeping, my head and my neck. 
and I, oddly enough, I remember screaming, 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 because I was just like, ah, because ah, I thought there was someone in my bed. And it took me a second to realize there was all of these huge boxes that had collapsed on my bed. I was living with my aunt at the time when I first moved up here. Her dog, Penny, this little wiener dog, started barking super loud because I scared the crap out of it. It was freaking out. What was interesting is the next morning I talked to my aunt and she didn't hear anything. She didn't hear me screaming. She didn't even hear her dog who's in her room freaking out. But I always thought, I go, let's say that is quantum immortality, right? These boxes fell on top of me, killed me. And then I shifted to a universe where I was rolled over. I wasn't in my normal side of the bed. I rolled over and I wasn't crushed by these boxes. By that same logic, that means there was a universe where my mom got a call from her sister, my aunt, saying, I don't know how to tell you this. I don't know how to tell you this, but Jason, he he got crushed last night. He got crushed by a bunch of boxes. And my mom just wailing over the phone and... My brother's being like, what? <laughs> of course Jason gets crushed in his bed. That sounds like a Jason death. And there's a whole alternate universe where all the friends and all the relationships I made up here in Hood River never existed because I'd only been in town for maybe a month. Where my family mourned my loss. And no matter how much trouble I got into at Sacramento, at least I was still alive. And then I move up to Hood River for a month. And I got crushed by boxes. And there's a whole universe out there where that happened where I am dead, and they do miss me. And people who never knew me, never knew me. I was a weird death that probably be covered on somebody's podcast. That's the thing with quantum immortality. There has to be that split where every time we survive and move into a new timeline, people mourn us in the old one. And stories like this, right? You have to look at this and go, there's a lot of people like Charles out there. Some of us may be like a Charles where we've lost somebody super close to us, whether it be an automobile accident or just a accidental death of any sort or any or worse, right? Murder, suicide, things like this. And we mourn them. We mourn them deeply. And we wonder why, if this multiverse is real, if this theory is real, why are we trapped in this multiverse where they are gone? Why do why can't you be the prime? Why can't you be the one who exists in the universe where they are still where they are still alive? Now, you could say there is a version of you that is in a universe with them still alive, but that doesn't give you any solace because you're trapped in this one where your loved one has passed away. We've all had that happen to us. The multiverse I find quantum immortality very, very fascinating. I don't know how much credit I give it overall, but I'm open to it. But the tragic side of it is when we lose someone close to us, we, I think it almost adds to the anguish. If you know there's multiple versions, an infinite amount of versions of that person still out there, and you're in one of the universes where they are not, where they stopped existing, I mean, that's, that almost feels like a different form of punishment. It's an interesting theory, and I, I think that's what this might be. This Charles and this Susan continue to exist in a universe where they are both alive. But there's another version where she is not, and Charles mourns her death. 
weird, really weird story, right? Really bizarre story, and if you do believe in the idea of quantum immortality, a terrifying one, really. Because even though we don't want to be in the universe where our loved ones are not, where they have passed away, eventually everyone's luck runs out. Eventually you will end up in one of those multiversal segments, timelines, where that person is gone. Or you're gone in their timeline. But you just shift to another one. You figure, wow, I can't believe I got out of that. I can't believe I got out of that situation. It's one in a million. I mean, it truly is one in a million. And a bunch of other variations of it, you did die and you are being mourned right now. While your life goes on and you can spend it with your loved ones in this universe. Fascinating, fascinating theory. Really, whether or not it's correct. But I, definitely, if it is correct, it does seem to be... It's, it, it can seem punishing if you find yourself in the wrong universe. Stinkbug Potato, I'm going to go to Natasha the Keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind this college town. Fly us all the way out to a community center. We're headed out to this community center. We're about to meet this 11-year-old boy. We're going to call him Roger. And he's down here playing basketball with his buddy, we'll name Tommy. And they're playing at the community center, but this is kind of dope. This used to be a high school, but it got converted to a community center. And this part, I had really had a hard time kind of visualizing. He said that you had the gym, and then downstairs from the gym, you had a couple of classrooms. But these classrooms haven't been used. The high school's not being used, really, as a high school anymore. Community center. So... I'm assuming it was a sprawling campus like most high schools, and there was just a couple classrooms underneath the gym. I don't think they were all underneath the gym. I don't think it was a high school for mole people. And I also don't know if the gym is on the second floor, which would suck, right? If you're, like, doing all this exercise and you're playing all these basketball games, and then it's like, okay, you, you got to walk down these stairs. You have to play basketball for three hours. You're like, ah, their legs all hurt. The visiting team has to take the stairs. The home team has a secret elevator. I don't know if the uh, gym is on the second floor or if these particular classes are underground. But the way that Roger had said, had kind of painted this picture, he said, it's a typical gym, gymnasium. You have basketball hoops. You have bleachers on each side. There's a door to get into the gym. But then there's also one of those doors that schools have. I don't know if many other institutions have them, but they have their doors have giant windows on them. So people can look in and go, yep, those students are still learning. And then they can go to the next window and go like, yep, still learning. Got a big, big uh, window on the door. Well, he said you go to, you're in this gym, and on the far end, there's one of these doors with a big window in it. And when you look down that, you see a staircase descending into darkness. It's not like it's not like the infinite void. It's not the darkness that awaits us all. No, it's just that the lights are shut off down there because if you take this stairway down, there's a couple of empty classrooms down there that people aren't using. Even though this has been converted to a community center, that's kind of like their storage area. 
And he goes, I hated that part. Like, there's something about, I mean, listen, that's pretty normal. There is a stairway leading into the unknown. It's normal to be scared about what's down there, 11 years old or not. He goes, I never really liked being over there. It always kind of scared me. Well, on this particular day, Tommy and Roger are shooting hoops, just having fun, right? Nothing like playing a little one-on-one. And they start to hear a noise. Not the sound of sneakers on the gymnasium floor. It's not the sound of the basketball dribbling. Not even the sound of the hoop going swish each time they make a shot. No. They hear the sound of children laughing. <laughs> Roger and Tommy kind of look at each other and they're like, what in the world is that? They're the only ones in the gymnasium. They know that. But they can clearly hear the sound of children laughing. And not only is it the sound of kids laughing, it's coming from behind the bleachers. <laughs> They're looking at each other and they look over to where the sound's coming from and the sound is moving. While it started off in the darkness underneath the bleachers, it begins to move out of the darkness. It begins to move. They hear it traveling across the gym headed towards the door. The door leading to the staircase descending into darkness is where these voices, this cacophony of children laughing, is headed towards. Roger and Tommy, they begin to follow the sound. On the one hand, this would be completely unusual. You'd be terrified to your bones to hear this. On the other hand, you would assume you're hearing things, which is what we almost always do. You would follow it hoping you'd find a cause. A radio plane, a leaky pipe, a draft rattling against the window, something. And they begin to walk towards the noise as it's moving towards the door leading downstairs. The laughter gets to that door. And stops. Suddenly, everything goes quiet. 
But it's more than that. It's more artificial. Roger said it was as if, quote, all the sound got sucked into a vacuum. Not a shoe squeak. Not a breath could be heard. This entire area, and possibly the entire gym, has fallen artificially, paranormally quiet. Roger and Tommy slowly walk towards the door and look through the window. They look down, they looked down the staircase many times in the past. This time, however, when they look through that window, they don't see they don't see the stairs leading down to nothing but darkness. Standing on the stairs is a shadowy humanoid figure. And he's silently flailing his arms as he tumbles down the stairs into the pitch black below. Roger says it looked like he was either pushed or pulled, but it wasn't voluntary. It was as if a man was standing on the stairs and lost his balance and began to flail his arms, hoping to grab onto something. But there's nothing to save him. This shadowy figure moved his arms around wildly as he fell into the darkness and vanished. Roger looks at Tommy, and Tommy looks at Roger at the exact same time. They know, instinctively, they both saw it. And they take off running out of the gym. Roger posted this story online. He posted it under the name MrClean2488, and he goes, We talked to the Parks and Rec director. We're like, hey, we think the gym's haunted. We saw this thing, and... He goes, the Parks and Rec director kind of brushed us off. And there's no harm in bringing that up, right? Sometimes you may experience something and you and you report it and, and someone may go, yeah, we've had reports that that place is haunted. Or we've had reports that something's odd about that. We did a story recently about a girl at a hotel room. The AC vent kept flying off. And it turns out that place was haunted. And when she reported it to the staff, they go... Yeah, we can't keep the AC vent on. Here's a roll of duct tape. Best of luck. So they it let that girl and her boyfriend, who's also a part of that story, know that this room there was something off of this room. But sometimes you may report something and there are no other reports of it. Or you may not want to discuss it as well. There's a lot of people out there who don't want their property to be known as haunted. 
not because you might want to sell it someday and it has a ghost, but imagine you're a Parks and Rec director. Even if you had personally heard weird things walking around this abandoned high school, the last thing you want is teenagers breaking in at 3 a.m. on a Saturday night to see the shadow man standing at the stairs, right? You'd just be like, there's no ghost here. Because <laughs> all of your stuff in your office is floating around. You're covered in ectoplasm. You're like, kids, you guys, your imagination. You just, whatever. He, The Parks and Rec guy may have never seen a ghost. He may have seen weird things and didn't want to bring it up. Didn't want to be known as the haunted place for kids to break into. Who knows? It could also be a Parks and Rec director talking to two 11-year-olds, being like, uh-huh, and then, yeah, Santa Claus is going to bring the Tooth Fairy some pixie dust for Leprechaun Day. Like, get out of my office, kids. What's really interesting about this story, I, I came across this story, and to me, the imagery of it is what got my attention. The The man standing at the stairs flailing as he's either being pushed or pulled into the darkness, that image is, is creepy. That's an unsettling image. I picture it in slow motion. I might have even said that in my narrative. At no point does Roger say it was in slow motion, but for whatever in my mind, I imagine it happening in slow motion. But whether it was in slow motion or fast motion, I think slow motion's creepier. But either way, you have this shadowy figure tumbling down the stairs. And I imagine him facing the window as well. I imagine him like he was walking up the stairs, getting pulled back down, not facing down the stairs. These are little details. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's some sort of spirit, phantasm, ghost, whatever you want to say, or maybe even a shadow man. But shadow man entities are normally the game. They're normally the ones in charge. I can't see it being trapped in some sort of event like this. Because you have to look at it. Is this Does this haunting play out regularly? Is this one of those hauntings that's reenacting somebody's death? Or is this an actual spirit that is residing there? But the imagery is creepy. The imagery is creepy. It really kind of caught my attention. What I also find interesting, I don't want to speak too long about this, because I could go on and on about so many of these topics. This story made me think of the idea, and we might have talked about this before on the show, is does the paranormal need an observer to work? If no one is standing at the haunted graveyard, can a ghost manifest? If a ghost appears, but no one's around to observe it, does it actually exist? Does it, can it exist? The reason why I say that, in this instance, it feels like the laughing children led them to the door. It doesn't even just feel that way. That's what happened. The laughing children from behind the bleacher led Roger and Tommy to the door. And then, there's a key thing. If you're following the sound of ghostly children laugh, and they get to a door, and you're standing maybe five feet away. You followed these voices. And now you're five feet away from the sound of these children laughing. And they're standing at the door. Would you approach that door? If you still hear that. <laughs> you still hear the sound of multiple children laughing. There's no kids there. And it's in front of a door. And you're five feet away. Would you approach that door and look through the window? 
Absolutely not. There's not a person in the world who would say, yeah, and then I walked through the voices. I heard the voices and followed them. And then I said, get out of my way, ghost kids, and walked through them. No, the ghost children not only had to get them to the door, they then had to fall silent. And Roger and Tommy standing there now, nothing is making any noise. They're five feet away from this door with the window. They feel like they've been led there. They have been led there. They will look through the door. If the ghostly children were still laughing and they continue to laugh and laugh and laugh, they are not going to approach the door. It's too terrifying. At that point, they run. But when the laughter stops and you realize I was brought over here for a purpose to observe something, let's look through the door. Let's look through this window. What could possibly, I mean, we have the safety of the door, we have the safety of the window. They're not thinking these things because obviously the paranormal can move through these walls. It's nothing to them, but our ape brains go, there's a solid thing here, we're safe. They walk to the door and they look through it and they observe the shadow man flailing his arms as he falls down the stairs. And the idea is, is did the children lead them there so they could observe the paranormal? If they did not get there, then the shadow man could not manifest. The shadowy figure could not manifest. It could not play its part. It could not be known. It could not exist. It requires a human observer, at least a human observer. Animals can also pick up on spiritual things like ghosts and poltergeists. They react to that. Dogs, most famously, will go nuts around them. But by having these two kids show up and look through this door, then the shadowy man is able to appear, manifest on these stairs. And get sucked into the darkness. Disappear into the void. The voices led them there. It's an interesting question. Because it's not something... Like, the one thing I like to do on the show. And one thing that I love, you guys. Is that we can kind of take, like, a top-down, very weird view of already weird phenomenon. And just dig into the details. This story, while an interesting haunting, it also makes you think. Why did the voices lead them there? Was it so they could see this event if the kids weren't there would this event have ever played out which is weird really when you think about it a lot of reports we have of even just haunted houses in the neighborhoods they always come down to stay away from that house sometimes you'll see lights in the house sometimes you'll see a shadowy figure standing in the attic window looking out those are still observers seeing those things if the haunted house is out in the middle of nowhere and maybe a person stops by once every six months, is there a shadowy figure standing at the attic window looking out? When no one is around to observe it, can it exist? Because there is a very, very interesting bond between the living and the paranormal. They're intertwined. I think that's why you can look at any culture on the planet starts off or continues to have a close relationship to the world of the paranormal. Because the world of the living and the world of the weird are permanently intertwined. 
There's no way to undo it. You cannot believe in it, but it doesn't mean that these things don't exist. You just don't believe in them. And that's fair. You, it's okay to have doubt. It's okay to be skeptic. These things may need us to observe them so they can exist. This type of spirit, again, like, I don't know if this... And part of me wants to think this is just the recording of an event. A man one day fell down the stairs, and this is one of those type of hauntings that just plays itself out over and over again. But I, because it has the laughter leading them there, I almost fear that there is a sentience to this. This is more than just a ghost reenacting its death. There is something here. Something for lack of a better term, alive. This is a spirit in the sense that you could interact with it. I mean, it wanted these kids to see it. It wanted to, It wanted the kids to come over so it could terrify them. And, and, I mean, that's what it did, right? In a very creepy, unsettling way, it flails its arms and falls down the stairs. And really, it's not like he went, like, bumped down the stairs. That'd be kind of funny. Like, and now he got sucked in. Like he was pushed or pulled into the darkness below. It's an interesting question. Does the world of the paranormal need us to see it to exist? Do we give it energy? Do our eyeballs, by registering it, or even our, our brains, if we can't physically see it, our brains, by perceiving it in some way, just a funny feeling we feel uncomfortable on location. Is that what the world of the spirits needs to manifest? And that's a very interesting question. What I find far more terrifying, though, is that it doesn't. Because think about it. What's scarier that these children were playing basketball and they heard the sound of kids laughing, invisible kids laughing, and led them to the stairway and they saw this man plunge into the darkness. What's scarier, that, or to this day, kids are continuing to hang out in the gym, forge new friendships, play sports, talk, hang out, grow up, live life. They're doing all of this on their weekends at this community center. And all the while, just out of view, standing on those stairs leading down, is a shadowy man. An entity, an entity aware of everything around it, but you are unaware of it. Just out of sight. He stands. He waits. He watches. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.